I'm reading from the uh, third chapter of the book of Revelation. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive. But you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Good morning. Wow. Um, this morning, uh, I'm going to do my best not to yell. And because uh, I, I, I want to I want us to um, finish up the church at Sardis and, and um, get a get a strong sense of how we really apply uh, the gospel. Um, last week, just to uh, recap for you, we took a look at uh, how and why Jesus used the language that he used, uh, the terminology in particular, in uh, speaking to the church at Sardis and this idea of being asleep and not awake. And uh, we discovered a little piece of history uh, about the city, that uh, it was on a very strong position to defend. Uh, it was built on a mountain and its fortress, its acropolis, was viewed as totally impregnable. Remember the proverb in their culture? Uh, to do the impossible was said to capture the acropolis of Sardis. Yet we discovered that no less than five times had the city been captured. Twice in particular because of a failure of vigilance on the part of watchmen who failed to see armies sneaking up on the city. So Jesus, knowing this history... Because he writes history and is still writing salvation history. Says you are asleep. And what has happened to you is that uh, you have been snuck up upon. And as a consequence you, you are totally asleep. So we, we talked about what, what that was. He defined that in verse 3 where he said remember what you've received. And heard, and he said, to keep it. So we asked the question, what is it they've received? And we, we went through the process of discovering that is the, their reception of the gospel message. And they were to keep the gospel message. And then we asked the question, well, how do you keep the gospel message? And we started with the gospel personally applied. And we, we, we talked about the fact that we must love justification. We keep the gospel in loving the justifying work of the cross. And oh, if I could say one thing today that would make a difference in your day, may I say, keep the gospel in loving justification. You cannot bring a nicely wrapped package of filthy rags to Jesus and Him be pleased. And all of our good deeds are as filthy rags. 
We can bring nothing to him to make him happy. We can bring nothing to him to please him. Our deeds do not accomplish the pleasure of God toward us. But may we boast only in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that when we come to him, we don't bring a nicely wrapped package of good works which fail miserably. But we come and we say, Jesus is my covering. His works, my works. His righteousness, mine. And there, find the pleasure of God. We keep the gospel in loving justification. We love the cross. We run to the cross. We boast in the cross. We keep the gospel in personal holiness. We seek righteousness, not because we want to bring a present of righteousness to Jesus, because we can't, right? But we seek righteousness because it's an imitation of our King, of our Father. We want to be like Him and we grow in that. We want to avoid cultural Christianity. We, we, don't, we don't want to be those people who blurt out uh, cultural statements that sound pretty in a nicely wrapped Christian subculture but fail miserably in the area of truth. Well, when we come to this part, how do we keep the gospel locally? As a body of followers of Jesus Christ, and that we are. As, as a group of people who are followers of Jesus. We've gathered together under the umbrella of Three Rivers Community Church with a very specific mission, a very specific purpose. And so I ask the question, how do we, how does any solid Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church in Floyd County, and there are, there are some, I don't ever want you to hear in my words that we're it. We're not. We're not. We have brothers out there. We have brothers out there who are holding firm to the gospel. We have sisters out there in these churches underneath good pastoral leadership who are holding firm to the gospel. How do we together keep the gospel locally? Well, the first thing I want you to take note is this. We keep the gospel by making sure that we do not do external ministry without gospel implication. We don't do external ministry with no gospel implication. We have to always make sure at every turn our engagement of our community never, ever, ever is only service to without including the person and work of Jesus as the ultimate solution to the problem. It does no good to pay a person's bills without addressing the fact that the reason they are where they are is their heart is desperately evil and wicked. And that their deeds at best will fail them again. And that the solution to their need is not that their bills get paid, but that they know the King. That the king take out a heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. And cause them to walk in his way. So that my cell phone and my wheels and whatever it is I have isn't my life. While my children can't eat. While that the bottle is my life but my children go in need. It's no good. To simply meet a need without addressing the root cause of evil 
And that being the heart that is in need of being transplanted with a new heart. That Jesus would come and transform and restore them and begin to work out from the inside. Holiness. Righteousness. May we never do ministry to without including the fact that there is a king. And his name is Jesus. And he wants to change our heart. Secondly, evangelism. This is a word that we don't like. And, I, and I'm, I'm saying we because I'm including me in that. Because this whole evangelism, when we say evangelism, probably many of us have pictures in our mind, don't we? We have, we have images, right, of, of several things. Maybe a slick-haired dude on a stage telling stories and pulling at the heartstrings and talking about hell hot, heaven high. And if you pray this prayer, you know, you're, you, know you get there and all that good stuff. And, or perhaps the dude at the Christmas parade handing out the tracks and KJV only. And you guys know if you go to the Christmas parade, the one I'm talking about. And you sort of cringe going... You know what I mean? You guys know what I'm talking about. You're there. Um, maybe you're not there. Maybe I'm, <laughs> I go to the Christmas parade. I enjoy that. <laughs> we have images when we think evangelism, don't we? But, but, but I want to throw something on you. It's really important. We can't, because perhaps our engagement with evangelism or others who have done it, because it was negative, we can't negate that it is vital that the gospel be proclaimed to our population here. Met with some dear brother, pastor friends this week. Um, David Harper, who I love dearly. Um, dear friend, uh, partner to the nth degree. Jared Roberts at West Rome. Um, uh, Jason Willis, God bless him. He's a CUSA graduate, but we still pray for him. Um, Brian Crisp, uh, Keith Kelly. Uh, Tim Burnham, some, some gentlemen got together and began discussing as, as Baptist churches in Floyd County some stark realities in front of us. And I'm glad to have this conversation because the conversation is reality is, boys, we're not reaching our town. What do we have to do? What do we have to do? And I want you to understand, when we say we're not reaching our town, we don't mean we're not doing ministry to people. What we mean is the gospel is not penetrating into our community. And we looked at ourselves. What is it? Are, are we not preaching the gospel? Do our people not understand the gospel? Let me throw some stuff on you. 33% of the population in America claims to be unchurched. 33% of the population in America claims to be unchurched. Just census data. If the unchurched in the U.S. were a country, it would be the 11th largest country in the world. By 2050, this is a Southern Baptist statistic, well, Ed Stetzer work for you. By 2050, 65% of Southern Baptist churches will no longer exist and will not be replaced at the current trend. In eight years, the Southeast, in particular Georgia, is a target. And you guys keep up. You watch enough news, you can see some of this stuff. Uh, this region will outpopulation California. And in order to keep up with the population, it's estimated there's a need of 59,123 new churches needed. Last year, this is Floyd County Baptist Association, $2.5 million less was given to Floyd County Baptist churches than the previous year. 
Now you follow some of those things out to the, the, their conclusions, starting at that bottom one, that means a lot of larger churches who pay staff are going to have to find themselves in a position to find a different way to keep church staff. Which means a decreased amount of time managing something and doing something else. If we're talking about a need of 59,000 churches, the question then becomes who's going to pastor them? Who's going to lead them? How do we know they're going to be good? Because I can promise you that just because a church is started doesn't mean it's good and healthy. Don't Listen, we, we're no longer a church plant. That's, that, those, those days are long past. We're enculturated and we've, we're not that anymore. We've, we've, roots are down. Okay? And so we've already settled into our little traditions and whatever. So we're no longer a plant. But the statistical reality of church plants is very few of them make it past two years old. The ones that do, some of them don't make it past five. And some of those who do, the question then becomes, what are they doing? What do they believe? What do they think? Why are people going? Just because a church starts doesn't necessarily make it healthy. I know several of them, and I don't don't want to get personal, but there are significant issues on the inside at the home level that scripturally disqualify men from leading. The question is, if we're going to keep up, and, and, and hear me now, I'm a Calvinist, okay? So I get the sovereignty of God. I know the work of the Holy Spirit and the necessity to preach the gospel. But I'm not going to ignore the fact that there is a need and that God hasn't called us to be fatalists. To sit and say, well, God will get it done. God gets work done through hands that put themselves on a plow and walk behind the plow of the gospel and the local church. Which means... That if we are going to keep up, there have to be some men, and I'm going to start dudes, who will say, I am called and gifted as Holy Spirit works in them. They stop running and say, I will be one of those. I will give my life to that. I will go and do that work. And the question is, how do we train them? Who's going to do that? I hope you feel that there is a need out there. Outside, because dude, it's good in here, isn't it? It's comfortable, it's cool, the air's on, music's fun, it's gospel oriented. We do, I mean, this is a good church, we do good ministry. But there are outside of here thousands of people who literally have not heard the gospel in our town. There's need for gospel saturated churches to be planted. I don't buy people come and say, there's a church on every corner. And I say, good, let's start filling up the line past the corner. We do not have enough churches in Floyd County. Don't buy that. We have enough churches. We obviously don't. Eighty plus thousand don't even darken the doors of the local church. In a hundred thousand member county. We need hundreds of churches planted all over the county. And it's going to have to be done by men. The gospel is powerful and effective, but it has to be spoken. Romans 10, if you would just allow me a rabbit trail. Listen, 
the tendency in our tribe of theological preference is that we sit on our hands and, and, and we want to talk about the good sovereignty of God. But the tendency is we're lazy. We're really fatalists. And that's bad theology. Because if we believed what we say we believe, and I don't mean us as a church, I think we do really well. I think God is good to us and we, are, we seek to be obedient. We put our hands to the work. But we in general, of our persuasion, have a tendency to go fatalist and we don't do anything. I want us to understand that this gospel message does not advance without the proclamation of the good news. The good news must be heard. It's how God wired it to work. And He wired prayer in there as a means of ministry to push it forward and make the Scriptures go forward as the Gospel is preached. Romans 10.13 For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Oh, what a glorious promise. And if you will call on Him, He will transform your heart. Are you serious? If they call on Jesus, the new covenant promise of a new heart will take place? Yeah! Isn't that stinking amazing? If they'll call out to Jesus, He will transform them. I said I wasn't going to yell, but I'm yelling. Do you understand how glorious that is? Apparently not. That if, that if an unregenerate heart will say, Jesus, save me, He will. And there's no hard-hearted individual who can say, that won't work for me. Jesus delights in saving Pauls who murder Christians. And turning them into evangelists and missionaries. There is no one who can arrogantly come before God and say, I'm unsavable. No one's unsavable. Jesus will save anybody who calls on His name. Amen? If we believe that, oh, let us do what comes next. I love it. You guys look down. That made my day. You look down to see what was next. Because it tells us, how then will they call on Him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone doing social ministry? No? Without someone preaching. How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You're sent this morning. You've been sent. You've been sent. Dominus Omus, you're commissioned. You... If you've received the gospel, you're sent. You're sent. What are you sent to do? To 
take good news to those who haven't heard that there is news to be heard. Being awakened locally to the reality of the gospel means that there is local evangelism that needs to be done. There is local proclamation of this good news that must be accomplished. In order just... If the 140 plus or minus churches in this town reach the county... I mean, do you understand how many people would be in those churches? These are seven, eight thousand each. Well, there's more than enough people who need to hear the good news. And even make the argument that there's more than enough inside here and other bodies that need to hear the good news. We are sent to go and tell the story of the good news of Jesus Christ. If you get a culture and a church doing ministry inside a culture, without the gospel you get liberal theology. If you get a church doing gospel work without understanding its culture, like, some of the examples I mentioned earlier, you get fundamentalism. But if you get the gospel in a church, rightly engaged in its culture, have a movement of people who are understanding how they need to hear and taking that gospel message to those who need to hear so that that good news can be proclaimed in their hearing so that they may hear and say, Jesus, save me. And He will radically transform them. And I want you to hear, that is your job. Oh, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no name under heaven given to men, whereby we must be saved. Salvation will not come with a full belly. Salvation will not come with clothing put on backs. Salvation will not come by ministry needs being met. Salvation comes when the gospel message is proclaimed and Holy Spirit baptizes them into the kingdom by giving them a new heart. That's where we have to start. It doesn't mean we neglect the cultural realities. We get inside of them. And this talk isn't geared toward that. Take perspectives. Next semester, next spring, you'll get a 16 weeks on it. So those of you who are in it, by the way, we're, never mind, I'm going to get to that. I'm skipping ahead. I'm skipping the notes. We understand our culture. We take the gospel to our culture. Jesus will save people. It's a foregone conclusion. The gospel is powerful and effective. Let me just say this as, as, a, as a note of go and do. God has placed you where He's placed you right now. The dominant 
key to finding yourself square in the middle of where God wants you to be 20 years from now is to be obedient right now. This moment. Moment to moment obedience to the call of the gospel, to the mission of Jesus, personally applied and locally applied, you will not miss where God wants you to be. Just obey right now what you know to obey. If there are people within earshot of you who need to hear the good news, why would you withhold it from them? Just speak often and clearly of Jesus. What are the needs? Well, a clear understanding of and articulation of the gospel. A clear understanding of and articulation of the gospel. Here's a good exercise for you, okay? Go read Romans 1 through 11. Okay? I know for some of you guys, you don't read, then go download it and listen to it. Okay? Somehow get Romans 1 through 11 in your ears. Okay? Then I want you to go and begin to ask the questions, who is God? Who is He? What is the problem that God has with man? Ask the question, who is man? What has man done that has caused a problem between God and man? What is man's status before God? Then ask the question, who is Jesus? What did Jesus do to solve the problem between God and man? Then ask the question, how does that get applied? If you will ask and answer those questions, you have the gospel to proclaim. God, man, Jesus response. And by the way, that may take some time to talk about who God is to people whose concept of God equals this conglomeration of all the world's religions tied up under this generic name God requires a little undoing and doing. Because the God of the Bible is not the God that's presented in pop culture. Who is God? What does holy mean? What's his dominant characteristic? Talking about the nature of man. You're talking about explosive? Start talking the fact to people when they begin to understand the problem between God and man. This whole little thing called the fall that's a big deal. That caused the heart of man to be totally rebellious in Genesis 6. In various places that it's evil from youth up. That from conception, David said, I was wicked. That you are a sinner and you stand under the condemnation of a holy, righteous God. And that Jesus came in the flesh. He took on flesh and he lived here as the second person of the Trinity. And yeah, you got a Trinity's part of the gospel. Believe it or not, it is. It kind of matters. Because you start talking, Jesus said He was God, and God says He's God, and Jesus said He was that God, yet Jesus here takes on flesh. That takes some unraveling a little bit. And Paul does that really nicely. That's why I want you to read Romans 1 through 11. Deal with some of those issues. 
and speak that message. Because here's, here's the crazy thing. That's when Holy Spirit goes to work. Paul said, the preaching of the gospel is fully, folly, it's foolishness to them. But it is the power of God for salvation. If you hang out around anybody who's not Christian long enough, you talk about Jesus, you'll find yourself at moments going, that's stupid. Just be honest. And if you don't talk to lost people, you have no clue what I'm talking about. But you're like, dude, I get from his perspective, that is kind of stupid. And the temptation is to start just leaving those pieces out to try to convince them with your words. But here's the cool thing. When the gospel is spoken, you talk about who God is, who man is, who Jesus is, and what he did on the cross. The Holy Spirit does what your words can never do. He will convert a heart. And you're talking about building the faith of God's people. And you're like, dude, I was not on my A game. I wasn't even sure I didn't confuse myself. But they believed the gospel. Then that's when you get jacked and you just become a maniac. You'll start gospeling people left and right. And oh, how I wish we had to put some reins on stallions rather than probing nags sometimes. That in the North American church... We're so afraid that they might not like what we have to say. We say nothing. What I want to say to us is, let's go talk gospel to our town and see what happens. They may think we're crazy. They already do. It's okay. Let's give them reason. We're already marginalized and already care we're here. We might as well at least go gospel on them and see if the Lord would save somebody. My point is this. Sardis did not keep the gospel. He said, your works are not complete. And for the church in Floyd County, for the church in America, our works are not complete if we don't start and end in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So let's just go gospel. I never want to hear from Jesus, your works are not complete because you did not keep the good news. We have the need for a clear understanding and articulation of the gospel too. We have a need for people to tell this, but also, you know what? Bring them to church. This is almost basic. I feel like this is like Christianity 101. But you know what? If it's just not landing, invite them to come here with you. I've said in the past, don't bring them to church. You preach the gospel to them. Maybe I'm wrong. Get them in the presence of God's people. Somehow do anything that they might hear the gospel. How cool would it be if, if, if chairs were lined up with people who were like, Dude, okay, you're kind of confusing me, but I'm here. Tell me what I need to hear. Oh, for that day. Wouldn't that be awesome? That God's stirring among the unregenerate. That they might begin to want to be around the people of God to hear the good news. Oh, I wish that would happen. Bring them. Do anything to get the gospel into their ears. And finally, there is a need for spiritual vitality that's infectious. That we are such an alive people that dead people want to be alive. And that's just my language. That's not Bible's language. I'm just talking about sometimes, man, when I'm around Christians, I'm like, this just stinks, man. 
There's no... It's like ice milk. It's like, really? What was that I just ate? I'm not real sure. You know, oh, to have some Holy Spirit life in the people of God that spills over into an unregenerate culture that people say, dude, I do not believe in what you have to say, but you are, there's something in you. Spiritual vitality that's infectious. Awareness to listening to the unction and moving of the Holy Spirit, that we don't quench the Spirit of God, as Paul said. But we stir up, as Paul said to Timothy, the gifts that were given to us, and we fan them into flame. Well, that's a little bit on the gospel locally applied. And then uh, finally, the gospel globally applied. I'm going to do my best not to scream here. (laughs) We know how that goes. The local existence of the church is only part of the equation. And this is the part of the conversation that I brought this week. If we plant churches who do nothing but local ministry, they are incomplete. Jesus did not say, go make disciples of Floyd County and the demographic of 18 to 35. Jesus said, go make disciples, pantatayethne, of all peoples. The local church is planted locally that resources gleaned from the local may go to all nations. I will go so far as to say a local church that has no global presence ceases to be a church. The local church has to become home base for the global expansion of the kingdom of God. There are 6,872 unreached people groups. And thousands upon thousands of churches who blow billions of dollars on more children's and youth ministries. Less than a percent of the monies given... Local churches in North America go to the penetration of the gospel to unreached people groups. At a budgetary level, we are failing woefully at the Great Commission. What if each church took one unreached people group? We do it very effectively. And oh, that one day... Perspectives in the spring would have 20 pastors sitting there with their hearts breaking for the fact that they've done nothing. That that they've wasted God's resources in their lives on trying to build a kingdom here. That they would lay down their salaries that that might go to do what Jesus said. And maybe there they would find spiritual vitality. We can't be okay with spending the majority of God's money on us. Jesus didn't say to do that, did He? 
My little tiny submission is that every single member of Three Rivers Community Church would do perspectives. The reason is because you get it, you're here, you've gone through the new members class, I understand that, I know that, but I, I want it to be beyond, that's a really good idea and I'm into this church. Two, I've got to start selling stuff because there's more that's got to go. Because it will ruin you. It will destroy your concept of church and it will build a concept that Jesus gave us that he intends to be worshipped among all peoples. And until that's done, we can't be satisfied. If we do nothing else as a church, May we be an example of how to throw it toward the nations even if we fail. And if we have to lay down on the barbed wire and die as a church, may we be a tool by which others can step on our backs and finish the task. That's the mission. That's what Jesus gave us to do. And oh, that you would taste that at that level. Sardis did not complete the gospel. We can't be a church that fails to complete the gospel. Oh, how woefully short is a mission that says, may we reach a demographic in Floyd County. Shortchanging the gospel. The gospel has to be globally applied. I pray some of you men in this room that God... Qualified elders would be raised up. We wouldn't plant churches in California. But you who get Roman Floyd County, because here's the deal, man. This is a tribal county. And it's broken down by Coosa, Armurchi, Pepperell, Model, Darlington, Unity, whatever. Silver Creek, Lindale, and they're different. Silver Creek's higher class. <laughs> Takes a different church over there. North Rome, South Rome. Joseph, you know what I mean, man. <laughs> He's Lindalian. Pray for him. That God would move in the hearts of some men to say, you know what, I get that. And you know what, I'll go over there and I'll start a church. How cool would it be if Three Rivers Community Church planted churches all around us, connected to us, doing this work? And that we became a light to Floyd County, not planting fly-by-night, flame-out churches, but men committed to the gospel locally and globally from this body. We need to multiply. We haven't multiplied yet. And oh, that some of you guys would see that vision and God would raise you up to be a church planter. Our town is dying and it's thirsty and there's need for the gospel. Because I promise you this, as, as bad as, this, as our town looks, it is loaded with people who fit on a global scale. There are blue-collar practices here that men have that are desperately needed there as conduits for the gospel. And they're wasting their time here, earning a living, buying more crap. Jesus says this, and, I, and I'm going to close on this. Um, verse 3, he says, 
if you will not wake up. I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Those, are a little, those words are a little disquieting, aren't they? Remember what he said earlier? I will remove your lampstand. If we will not complete the gospel, he will remove our lampstand. I will come against you. My great fear, I can't prove this. I'm not a prophet. I'm not a son of a prophet. There's no prophetic blood coursing through these veins. My fear is that the silence of the American church is perhaps due to the fact that our lampstand's light is growing dimmer and dimmer, and the king himself is perhaps shutting it down. We have more resources available to the nation than we do less among the nations. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 30, in Matthew 20, 16, he said, the last will be first, and the first will be last. See, in the kingdom, the principle is that God delights in taking what humans and their fallen state view as superior. He delights in taking those and setting them aside and taking what we view to be inferior and using that to get work done because it points to the sufficiency of Jesus. Currently in Haiti of all places. There is a movement of the Spirit of God in which thousands are coming to the gospel through the preaching of the gospel. There is one particular man who is pastoring a church of 3,000 homeless people as a result of the earthquake. They live in the local park and they gather on Sundays to worship. And a 12-year-old boy leads the gathered worship with a commanding voice. The power of the Spirit of God. And he stands and proclaims the person and work of Jesus Christ. And thousands are coming to faith. Another storm. They gathered in a makeshift tent they made. It got blew down. And several pastors came and said, From the states, we want to help you rebuild this. He said, No, 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 no. We don't want you to rebuild it. God will use us to rebuild this work here. And thousands are coming to faith in Christ. And they have nothing. Zero. The lamp is burning brightly there. If we don't wake, Jesus says, I will come against you. I don't want, I don't want Revelation 19, Jesus coming against me. You read, I mean, he went, boom. It's, I mean, there's not even a fight. It's not even, it's not even a good display of, you know, lob some shots at Jesus. Boom, he just obliterates. I don't want Jesus coming against us. He says, if you don't wake up, I will come against you. The reason Jesus will come against that church is because that church is not the church. And they're making him look bad globally. Oh, that we would complete the gospel. That there would be a personal completion of the gospel and loving the gospel, applying the gospel. Oh, that there would be a local completion of the gospel and that that local would trend to a global completion of the good news. I think you're here because that's what you want. That's why you came here, hopefully. 
And my exhortation to you is, let us not fall short of those goals. Love the gospel more than anything else. Listen, love the gospel more than people. People are never, and you prospectus people know this because you read. If you didn't read your article, shame on you. If People are an inferior motivation for the gospel. Reason being is that wax and wanes with our emotions. Because sometimes people make me angry. Sometimes we don't like cultures. Right? Certain, like, ah, they don't get that very. And we struggle. It is a love for Jesus first that moves us to go. And that is the only sufficient and lasting motivation that will push through hardship and persecution and difficulties because you love Jesus more than people. And when we love Jesus more than people, perhaps, perhaps we will complete the gospel. Jesus is sufficient enough motivation. He loves people enough to save them. And he didn't ask us to have an idol of people. He asked us to love him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then your neighbor is yourself. But we love Jesus first. And I think that's why you're here. Let's not fail at that. Let's go. Let's preach the good news. Let's stay on task and watch him do amazing things. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I, I feel like a, a total fool. Uh, uh, it just feels weird in our culture to think that you're you're the key and the answer. And I just confess that to you. That's leftover blindness in in my flesh, and uh, perhaps some of us feel that way, and we wrestle against that. I just want to ask you, Holy Spirit, please. Please do a work in us that would remove that. Oh, I pray that we would be, that you would make us by your grace an awake people, that we would not be conquered by a failure to complete the gospel. Lord Jesus, I just want to ask you to cause us to love the cross. To love your name and your fame among our local population. And then to love your fame among all peoples. And finally, I just want to ask you. There are men sitting in this room who are qualified. That you would raise up an army of young men who want to plant churches in Rome and Floyd County. That they would lay down careers. Or seek careers that would allow them to plant churches. In some fashion, you would raise up an army of young men who would be willing to meet the need of gospel-loving congregation and proclamation of the good news to the people of Roman Floyd County. I don't know exactly how to pull that off except to ask you to send out laborers. You are Lord of the harvest, and so, Master, would you please go and bring workers? Teach us what to do and how to do it well. We entrust ourselves to you, Jesus. You're better than life. And so as we, we come to sing to you and enjoy you, pray you'd receive that. And that, Spirit, you would minister among us and that you would spring to life vitality in every heart. And it would make much of you. 
and there find our joy. And we pray this in Jesus' name.